I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This season, the Thursday Club on Fulhamish is sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Green King Sport venues are showing every televised Fulham fixture over the course of the 23-24 season. And with our upcoming game against Nottingham Forest live on Amazon Prime, if you can't make it to the game or you don't have Amazon Prime, then head to a Green King Sport pub instead and they'll be showing the match. Also, make sure you follow the Green King Sport Instagram page as they're giving away some awesome prizes such as Champions League final tickets and signed shirts, go to at Green King Sports on Instagram for your chance to win those great prizes and to find out all about their special upcoming deals. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today, we're going to be doing the final word on Fulham's 3-2 win over Wolves. And we'll be previewing Sunday's trip to Anfield against Liverpool. They've got some injuries, so initially I thought that there was absolutely no chance. Maybe it's increased by a, uh, a couple of percent. Also, we're going to be answering a load of your emails at the end. I'm joined by Jack Collins, first of all. Hello. Hello, Sammy. Hello, listeners. How you doing? Yeah, good. Thank you. And we have a very special guest today on the Thursday Club. We are joined by the legendary journalist. He's written for every paper that's worth reading. And he's written autobiographies for some of football's most iconic managers. And he has a big old soft spot for Fulham. So we're delighted to have him on the podcast. Patrick Barkley, welcome to Fulhamish. Thank you very much indeed. More than a soft spot. Uh, Season ticket in the Haynes sea upper um lovely seat you know you get the sweep of the hammersmith end when we score uh, in in the second half playing that way <laughs> and no i i just love uh, you know for 40 years i was a journalist as you rightly say i worked for a lot of papers so i must have got sacked by quite a few and um <laughs> and uh uh, but I, I always wanted to be a fan again. I couldn't wait to retire, you know, and just be a fan. And my local clubs, Fulham, and it, it would be the club. There were only two clubs that I thought I could really be a fan of, really. Um, obviously, I'm not like you. I, I, I don't pretend um, that it, it's like you. That I'm, I wasn't born a Fulham fan. But the two clubs were Norwich and I was just like going to Carrow Road and, and Fulham. And also the people at Fulham, I'd like to, I mean, working for the press, you're working with people like Carmelo Mifsud, Sarah Brooks as well. They were just lovely people. And, and so um, sort of developing an, an allegiance for Fulham was, was just quite natural. Uh, besides, I could I could swim to the ground. I, I, don't, I don't exactly live by the river, but I live in Barnes just, Two blocks back from the river, so it's. it's I, w- I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend taking that route, though. Probably, uh, probably no, not the nicest. No, exactly. <laughs> you'd, you'd need a wetsuit, wouldn't you? A wetsuit and just to dodge a few things that might be flowing downstream. Well, that's um, a, that's a point. Yeah. Um, Patrick, it's, it's wonderful to uh, to have you on today to uh, to chat everything Fulham. And we first met you at the uh, the Football Supporters Association Awards mm. back in 2019. Did you I give actually, you? I gave you the award, didn't I? You you were the one that handed us the award on stage. Yeah. And um, I, I've been contacting your agent for four years. Finally, you <laughs> emailed me back, and uh, it's great to get you on the show. Uh, it's it's just great uh, great to be on. I, I remember. Uh, handing over that award, and I was I was terrified that they that they'd, they'd think it was a fix, you know, because uh, <laughs> you know, there was there's quite a lot of good competition, you know, for for that uh, for that prize, but the, the right people won. 
the right people. Oh, it was a, one of it's our favorite memory probably since we started the podcast, and you were there to, to share that memory with us, Patrick. And we couldn't have asked for a, for a better man to, to to hand that award to us. So, or, thank a, you so or a much. more biased one, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> they all count. They all count. Yeah, yeah. as, as one did, we're definitely right? shouting fix. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Unhappy leads. <laughs> Well, let's get into um, Monday's game and a bit of final thoughts on the 3-2 win. Um, Jack, you were there in the hammy end, uh, a couple of rows behind me. It was, it was a cold evening at the cottage, but three penalties and a lot of VAR drama certainly warmed things up. Yeah, it was it was dramatic. And and to be honest, I walked into that game expecting a nil-nil. And there were elements where, you know, sort of standing around before the game and, and on the wonder to the game, you're thinking about the Wolves game last year. And I remember being so excited and so, you know, buzzing every time that we had a home game at the cottage, especially against teams in the sort of area of the table around us, below us. You're looking at those games and every single one of them felt like an opportunity to pick up three points. But not only that, an opportunity to to put in another display that you're going, I'm very, very proud of this Fulham team. And coming into this game, so much of that fire had been quelled. And yet we saw a performance that started hot, which is something we haven't seen much of. I think it's Fulham's first goal at the Putney end this season, if I'm not mistaken, which is a, we're in a long way, I think yeah. in the league at the very least, in the league. So we're not in, we've not been in, in great nick, if you will. So to start like that, and actually it ended up being a game that's been dominated you know, the discourse has been dominated by the VAR drama, by Gary O'Neill's comments, I think a lot of what's been forgotten is that Fulham were the better side for 60, 70 minutes of this game. There were moments of panic. There were mix-ups. We had our kind of elements of distrust that still sort of haunt this team. But generally, I thought across 70 minutes of the 90, Fulham were the better side, the side in the ascendancy. And if Alex Awobi had scored when he was one-on-one with the goalkeeper at 2-1 up then a lot of this drama might well have actually not come to pass. And, and he should have scored. It was a good save by Jose Sar. But when you, when you have those kind of opportunities to kill a game off, we need to be better at doing so. But I think in a lot of the maelstrom afterwards, it has been forgotten that Fulham were the better side on the night. And, and I thought it was important to kind of redress that. Patrick, your thoughts on the game? Well, Jag hasn't left much... Uh, he's covered basically <laughs> everything I, I would have said. He I'm, does that. It's annoying. <laughs> the one thing I would like to stress is that, and, and he touched on the, the start, the front foot start was very, very important. Um, and the, the, the football was good from the start. I'll tell you why. Because Marco had gambled with his pre-match interview when, when he was asked, you know, when managers are asked, you know, is this a big one? Have you got to produce a performance? He said, no, no, it's a long season. You, you know, the, the, the textbook says, no, no, it's a long season. Keep the pressure off the players. He put the pressure smack back on them. He said, yes, we have to, uh, we have to start uh, doing it. And the players responded, that was a good sign. That was a really good sign. Okay, it didn't all go to plan. Uh, you know, Tim made an error. Tim made an error. Um, but... Um, yeah, the, the performance was very good. We could, I mean, I would pick, there were some players, I mean, we'll go into detail, I'm sure, more detail, but uh, with Palinha out, you obviously, um, you look at Harrison Reed, a very a different player, and he, he made a couple of errors, but I thought in his own way, um, he compensated. So that's, you know, that's something that needs to be taken. And of course, you know, I'm so biased in favour of Tom Kearney. I mean, I just love, I just love it. I don't just like him; I actually love him, and uh, not just because he's a, 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 a an admittedly phony Scot, um, but because, <laughs> but because a footballer like that is just—it's like watching a Rolls Royce purring along the road. You know, it's just—he just knows what to do in any situation, um, and it, it's quite. Funny, I was saying a friend a um, couple of days ago, you know, when Fabio Carvalho left and, you know, we I, I was worried. I was terribly worried because I thought he was going to become one of the best number 10s in the world, you know, and I thought, how do we replace him? And the answer was right in front of our faces, you know. 
I was thinking maybe Harry Wilson, you know, something like that. Um, and, um, it, it, you know, Tom Kearney is so good in that position because he's brilliant. He's just brilliant. Um, so I thought, I thought that was a great thing. And, uh, I'm just wondering whether he'll play at Anfield, but, uh, that's, that's for another section of the uh, podcast, I think. Well, actually, no, I'm happy to go. There was, that was actually kind of my next question. That was where I was going to go. I mean, Jack, I think what we sometimes forget about Kearney is in the, the 1718 season, he was, I think, arguably better than James Madison and better than Jack Grealish. Now, Tom Kearney had a few years on both of those. They were both still developing. But they, you know, these are three iconic midfielders that all played in the championship that year. But Kearney suffered with injuries and he struggled to adapt, I think, to the Premier League when we first came up. I always remember him getting overrun in midfield with Jean-Michel Serri. It was, and, and also him and Serri really found it tough to play together. But I think now we are just seeing the the blossoming of Tom Kearney. And I've just been wondering, every time I've seen him on the pitch this season, why don't we see a little bit more of him? I know that he's got fitness issues. I know that 90 minutes every single week would be a bit of a stretch for him. But I, I feel like right now he's earned a little bit more than just 20-minute cameos. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. But we, we talked about this the other week on the Thursday Club when, you know, Drew was on here with me and we were talking about the fact that what Silver's done brilliantly is actually manage Tom Kearney's minutes. He's been able to get him having this consistent run of, if not starts, then at least appearances within the team. I think he featured in every single game that Fulham played in the Premier League last season. So suddenly this kind of changing role, this uh, ability to come on and, you know, change games in some ways, control games in others, um, but also feature for the odd start to be able to control, especially at home, is something that we've seen as a kind of hallmark of, of Silver's tenure. So I wonder if 90 minutes twice in a row would be asking a lot of, uh, you know, of his fitness and, and actually of that stretch. And he did he did go off in the 89th minute, so he didn't quite make the 90, but it was, it was one of those where, you know, Silver, when, when he did get pulled, it was it was late on in the game. So whether he starts again at Anfield is, is probably a different question, especially with Polina coming back. I think that what Silver will look for in, in that midfield might be slightly different away against Liverpool as opposed to at home against Wolves. And so therefore is Kearney's position in the team one that he has the luxury or liberty of, of actually taking out? I don't know. Um, but I think in terms of performance, and if we were just judging it on that, you're absolutely right. If it were just judging this on Tom Kearney's performance on Monday night, does he deserve to start on Sunday? Yes, 100%. Will he start on Sunday? Slightly different question, I suppose. I guess part of it as well, Jack, we've got Forrest in the midweek. We've got lots of midweek games coming up. This is a really, really busy few weeks for, well, for everyone in the Premier League, but particularly when you, you know, get into the latter stages of cup competitions like we are, I guess if, if you, if you took Kearney out maybe for, for Liverpool, but then maybe started him again against Forrest, yeah. I think that might be, I, I just, I, I think with Also Kearney it's a game now, he can control, right? The Forrest game. Yeah. Also there's, there's the kind of narrative element of Nottingham Forest, obviously his first club one that didn't work out at, all of that plays in. He'll want to play that game. Now, of course, every player will want to play at Anfield because Anfield is Anfield. But I think if you offer Tom Kearney the chance to start and control a game against his boyhood club, then maybe that's more of an appealing option and it actually suits the, the kind of ebb and flow of these two games a little bit more than it would where he's going to have to be battling it out for supremacy in that midfield against a dominant Liverpool side who are incredible at home. Um, Patrick, when it came to the decisions in the second half, Gary O'Neill was fuming. And actually, I feel like Fulham haven't been wrapped up too much in the VAR discourse for quite some time. Maybe aside from Akanji's goal against um, us for City, where he should have been offside. But we haven't, that, that that's, that's mostly been discourse that happens in other games. Fulham have mostly stayed out of it, but it felt like Fulham were thrust um, right into the heart of the point of VAR, what is clear and obvious, when should VAR be getting involved? I, I think, and and I think there was a bit of criticism to some of the, some of the Monday pod from Wolves fans that we weren't balanced enough um, who, who listened into our podcast. Um, I, I think that the right decisions were made, but I do feel like particularly with the Wilson one, 
is it's the way that we get to some of these decisions sometimes that is is the tough thing and it was it a clear and obvious foul on Harry Wilson but yeah I'd be I'd love to hear your take on on all three decisions well I'll start with the Harry Wilson one because it 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 it, it settled the game it gave us two points um I'm certain there's not a Wolves fan who didn't think it was not a penalty and I'm certain there's hardly a Fulham fan who didn't think it was a penalty on balance as Jack has just said um it was one of those decisions that could have gone either way. The referee ruled it as a dive um, initially, as I as I recall, mm. um, and changed his mind after what seemed an, an eternity watching replays. Um, I got back from Scotland too late to get to the cottage, so I watched it on television. But, um, I mean, if I might make a general point, I think VAR um, has been hideously mishandled uh, by FIFA and everybody else, um, including the press. The press say, oh, you've got to, you've got to involve the fans in the, the decision-making. I think that's, uh, am I allowed to say bollocks? I think, that's, <laughs> yeah. I think it's utter bollocks, that. Uh, I think that every journalist is, and commentator has got this wrong. I can remember, I'm a fan, so I know. And, and I remember the last season we were in the championship, there's no VAR. I don't remember any of, I, you know, I'm in the Haynes Upper Section C and, there's, and I know all the people around me. So I, I talked about, you know, I talked football with maybe 20 people every, every fortnight. And not one of them ever mentioned VAR, the absence of it. Because at that time, it was not in the championship, but it was in the premiership. I don't remember ever during a game thinking, well, oh, it'd be nice if we had VAR. We just watched the game. And we, and, and we took the – admittedly, most of the decisions were in our favor because we were beating everybody four, five, six, and seven. But it was, it was still – I don't think fans want to get – fans in the ground, I don't think they want to get involved in video. I think – Fans on telly do because they haven't any choice. That's their experience. That's what they've chosen to watch the game through. Um, but people in the ground want a continuous spectacle, and that's what it should be. And therefore, I think, give the fourth official a TV set. Give him what the home, the fans at home see. And if he has anything to say, let him, like the linesman in the old days, flag and say, ref, you didn't see, but Tim Ream nutted their centre forward, so you've got to send him off. I picked a bad example because Tim's one of football's gentlemen, but you know what I mean. If, if the linesman saw something behind the referee's back, he'd tell the referee, the referee would take his word for it and send off the culprit. That's all that needs to be done. The fourth official is off the same status as the referee so there's no re-refereeing involved the fourth official simply says fred you've got or frida if the referee's a woman politically correct on fulhamish you know don't worry about that i you know i <laughs> won't let you. i won't let you down um <laughs> and uh, it says refer ref you've got it wrong uh you missed something give up you know that's a penalty in the case and now it would have worked against us on uh, at the at the Wolves game because the referee, naked eye, said it was. And I don't think the fourth official in this case, who's watching a yeah. video, I don't think the fourth official would have contradicted it. And I think it would have ended to all. So it wouldn't have worked us in our favour uh, in that particular game. But it would in ensure a continuous spectacle for the fan who's in the ground, and therefore. Uh, should be the priority. So that's the way I think it should be. But, you know, I don't expect every Fulham fan to agree with me because in this one instance, it would have worked against us. I think it's interesting. I, weirdly, I actually think that the Harry Wilson one is the most uh, is, is the, the most stonewall of the three penalties. Really? I think the other two are softer. I think that's the one where there's definitely, he nicks the ball, there's definite contact with the defender and he goes over. He might go over a little bit lightly, but he beats the defender to the ball. Yeah, let me let me pick you up on that, Jack. You see, you're you're how old are you, Jack? I am thirty. You're thirty. I'm seventy six. So I I I I grew up on a completely different game yeah. from the one yeah. you see. You didn't think Tim Reams was a penalty, did you? 
particularly. I, I, I think I think there is a, an argument to suggest that it starts outside the box to begin with. Um, yeah, I, but, do, uh, I, do, yeah, I do think it is a penalty. I think, all, to be honest, I think all three of them are penalties. Yeah, but, I think the one that's the least It did start outside the box, but under the law, if it starts outside the box, then goes inside, that's a penalty. So for me, it's a definite penalty. But what I thought you were, what I thought, sorry, what I mistakenly thought you were arguing was that upper body contact like that isn't a pen. Because... Uh, for people of a certain generation, upper body contact now is part of the game. You hear commentators saying, "Saying, oh, he was just too strong for his opponent. Come on. It's not tug of war. It's bloody football. <laughs> it's called yeah. football for a reason. It's played with the, the lower body and the head. Okay. You see, I also come from a, an era where you, you look for an element of, and again, you're right legally, because the law doesn't say intent for a penalty. Um, but I think there should be an element of cynicism in the giving away of a penalty. If a, there's just a collision, because Harry played for it. Even yeah, you're yeah, not going to deny that. Yeah, 100%. He played for it. No doubt. But you're, say, you're saying if you're quicker than the guy, even if you play for it, you should get it. And I yeah. respect that argument. I respect that argument. Um, but it, it's quite interesting that for you it was an absolute cert. For me, the Tim Ream was the biggest set of the three. But there we I go. I think I think the obvious one is that I think the Tom Kearney one is the least the least obvious. And and actually it takes on That was a genuine nice debate, wasn't it? That one? <laughs> well, yeah, that's it, because yeah. he does get a foot on the ball. He also yep. stands on Tom's foot. So yeah. it's one of those where I do think we talk about consistency a lot, right? And actually we talk about consistency across games, but actually if you look at consistency within a game, if the bar has been set at Tom Kearney's one is a penalty then all three of them are penalties because yes, if that's yes. the bo- if that's the kind of yes. bar for contact that we're looking for that therefore decides it then we're looking for consistency within a game then the referee has got to look at the three of them and go yeah if i've given that then i've got to give all three of these because they're all contact they're all within you know the legal ramifications of the box and therefore they're all penalties actually if i was a wolves fan the thing I'd be most annoyed about is that Carlos Vinicius wasn't sent off because I think that this is Stonewall. And there is an element last year where Douglas Deweese and Mitrovic come together. I think it's the last game of Steven Gerrard's tenure as Aston Villa manager. He's sent off. There is very, very little difference between those two incidents. And at the time, I do remember the media talking up the fact that Mitrovic had made a meal of it, that there was, you know, there was this element of he shouldn't have been sent off. I actually thought it was a red card, and I thought this was a red card for Carlos Vinicius. That's the thing I think that would be annoying me most as a Wolverhampton Wanderers fan. And I think that they would be perfectly within their rights to be annoyed about that because it's Stonewall as far as I'm concerned. Jack, Jack, I, I, I don't want to question your good faith, but... You wouldn't actually mind if Carlos was was suspended, yeah, would so you? So, so <laughs> yeah. uh, look, I've just got to say he's a walking liability. It's, it's got <laughs> to this point. He should have been sent off in the Chelsea game. I think he should have been sent off. It was either the Luton or Sheffield United game for an off the ball incident. Yeah, I thought it was Sheffield United, and then he should have been sent off here. How one he's got away with it all three times, I don't know. But like, we're getting to a point where he's obviously frustrated. But last year he was, you know, second fiddle to, to to Alexander Mitrovic, and he clearly had enough respect for Mitrovic that when he came on, he was not annoyed about it. This no. year things have clearly changed within the camp because he seems to be livid every time mm. he comes onto the pitch, and yeah. it's going to cost us very soon if someone doesn't address this as an issue. Good yeah. point. I just want to go back to Patrick's points on 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 VAR. What I think. And what your fourth official suggestion would do is I just really want us to go back to this like absolute, like it should be for horrendous misses. As you say, mm. someone punching someone off the ball, the yeah. referee had their back to it. Yeah. I just want us. And and if the penalty was, excuse the pun, that the Harry Wilson one doesn't get given because it's not, you look at it. Okay. It, it's six, one, half a dozen, the other. Yeah. Some people say that is a penalty. Some people say that it's not a penalty. If we're in that gray zone, and overturning it, I think, is what annoys me most. Kearney's, yeah, bit soft, but the referee gave it. It looked like a penalty to the naked eye. I agreed with it at the time. I just wish we could somehow go back to that. And actually, I, I, I remember like just thinking in the recent Ipswich game, there's no VAR. 
And what a joy it was. Goals went in and I was 99% sure it was going to remain a goal. Mm. Like that's that's the beauty of football. That And, and now I, I, I do it every single game where Fulham concede a goal. I'm there in the ground going like, Please VAR, yeah. please VAR, I found yeah. something. Please VAR, I found a toenail offside. Because obviously I want that in my own team's interest. But like, it's not what football should be. It, uh, you know, you score a goal, you should be happy. You concede a goal, you shouldn't. I don't. Th- I still celebrate like when we score a goal. I, don't, I think a lot of people made a lot of that, that people won't be celebrating. Like we still do, but there is just that... That it, it, it's just this clinicalness to the football now. It's, it's horrible. And and w- when you see a beautiful move end with a ball bulging the net, all you get now is a provisional goal. Yeah. And yes. And and that's that that's really wrong. It's because why do we love football? It's for those moments. Uh, Dennis O'Doy, you know, I can still see that ball going in. You know going across the goalkeeper into the far corner. And the feeling of that, of goals such as that, you know, you can, you know, Joe Bryan, you know, all of those moments, those goals, they're just such a, a moment of elation. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it's very, uh, it's very, very frustrating. But if you were getting, an exact result, it, you could make an argument for that kind of delay. But even after eight minutes of delay on a decision, we're, we can still argue. So we're not actually getting anything for our money. And uh, I, I, I also agree with you, Sammy, if you look back, the, the groundswell of opinion for VAR began, originated certainly in England, after Frank Lampard's no, no goal against Germany in the World Cup in South Africa, where the ball was, what, one and a half meters over the line, something like yeah. that. Um, uh, or, or going further back, Pedro Mendes is shot a wonderful goal at Old Trafford, which the, goal, the, the Manchester United goalie pick, almost picks it out of the net. And, and, yeah. and because it's such a brilliant long-range goal, um, the, the linesman didn't get up there in time to see. So it was for things like that. And that's why the phrase clear and obvious came in. And I also, I also think the law has been changed badly so often. Like, you know, if the ball accidentally touches a hand, you can't score a goal. What nonsense that is. And also... Um, it, 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 do you remember when, if the linesman is in any doubt, it's, keep your flag down? That was a that was a great rule. They scrapped that, which would get away with all the toenail nonsense, and and those those lines which drive me mad, which which people trust. You know, when you get your bank statement, a computer's made it, and you still check it, don't you? If it says you, you, you've got an overdraft of two million quid, you still check. You don't say, all right, fair enough. I'll pay it off. You still check it. But everybody believes those lines. I, I also, and you, you go back to past incidents, you know, I think about, yeah, obviously there's, you know, goals that went over the line. You think about Ben Thatcher's elbow on Pedro Mendes. Yes. That, you know, something like that, where he got a yellow card and it was, it was, it was borderline assault. Yes. What he did yes. that day. And that's the kind of decision where someone just with the benefit of a TV screen and a replay would go like, oh my God. And whispers, sort- whispers in the referee's ear, uh, number four or whatever number Thatcher wore, red card, no question about it. It's, it's yeah. the no question about it ones that, that we want to see done. Yeah. But I feel like they've invested so much in VAR. They've they they they've you know, done Stotley Park. They've got millions of cameras, and they can't justify it only being used twenty times a season. They can't justify it for all the expense of it only being used in those rare occasions. But we've got to go back to the drawing board, and I feel sorry for Wolves fans on that on that basis only. But obviously, I'm delighted with the win ultimately. And any Wolves fans listening, you can jog on. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> also, also, these are the matches. I mean, they are. We've got one coming up. Uh, well, we've got two coming up at at home against Wolves and Forest. We've got Arsenal coming up. But let's be honest. Uh, Anfield, which I hope we'll talk a bit more about, uh, Anfield and even home to Arsenal. Those are not the games that are going to define ours. Last season they might, 
but they're not going to define this season, are they? It's, yeah. the, it's well, I think it's games like Wolves that are going to define our season. And that's one thing that I actually, um, again, wanted to come on to, Jack. You look at now Fulham's season, and we talked a lot about over the international break about, you know, should Fulham fans be this annoyed or irritated that we only got one point from those four matches between the two international breaks? And we, we, we discussed that at length. But you look now at really every side that we've played in the bottom half, we've only lost one, and that was the Brentford game, which will always sting for the whole of the season until we do them at their place, hopefully. But... Everton, Luton, Sheffield United, Wolves wins, a draw away at Palace. Fulham are getting the points in the games that we need to. Now that needs to continue in the in the games that are coming up between now and Christmas. But you get six points out of Forest, Burnley, Bournemouth, maybe even West Ham, who are kind of borderline mid-table this season. Already by the halfway point of this season, you're over 20 points. And we'd have all taken that, bits in your hand off for that. Yeah, no, the, there is that. I, I mean, look, the, the thing is that the points are on the board and that's important. But I was talking about this in relation to Manchester United, if you excuse the tangent recently. I was talking that United are the form team in the Premier League, right, after that win again. Has anyone been convinced by any of their performances? And I think the answer is no, right? So there is a difference between being, you know, United six points off the top. But does anybody think they're going to, one, close that six-point gap, and two, continue to get results like this if they continue performing like this? And so actually the thing that I was most impressed and most pleased by on Monday night was that Fulham looked much better. Like that some of these games that we've won, Everton, Luton, even Sheffield United, to be honest, and they were very poor. There were lots of those periods in those games where I was like, what are we doing? Like, I don't understand what Fulham are trying to achieve here. There doesn't seem to be any sort of game plan. Whereas I think on Monday, we looked like a team who were set out to try and exploit Wolves' weaknesses, who were able to contain their strengths in many ways. There were still errors, as we say, but they, you know, they were individual errors as opposed to Wolves cutting through us at will. And actually the performance as a whole was much more complete and coherent than a lot of what we've seen from Fulham this season. And I think that's maybe the thing that's given me the biggest boost this week. It was not the three points on the board, which were obviously pretty crucial, but actually, even if it had ended two all, I would have been like, that's much better from Fulham. There is an identity again on the pitch. And that, I think, was the most important thing this week. I mean, if you go right through the team, I mean, a pal of mine was, uh, was a wee bit lukewarm about Pereira again. But apart from that, I thought we got a seven out of ten uh, minimum rising to nine uh, for every player. And if you get that from every player, there's something right in that dressing room. And, and I really felt it um, in, in, in the Wolves game. Because bear in mind, you talk about form teams, Wolves are one of the form teams in the Premier League. 100%. Yeah, I wasn't expecting a win on on, on Monday. And then you looked at all of no. these games through kind of this November, December period. And and I looked at Forrest and Burnley's. Wolves was one I maybe had down for an optimistic draw. Yeah. That was, uh, that was especially without Pelini, especially without Pelini Correct. as well. Like uh, who is, who is obviously, we all know, it's not, I'm not saying anything groundbreaking here to say how enormous he is for us and how we've looked so devoid of any chance of getting points when, when he's not played. I know we won the Everton game, but... Yeah, we should have lost that about four one, and, and that was partially down to to his absence. So look, it's it's a really really big win for Fulham. We're going to take a break now. Afterwards, we're going to look ahead to Liverpool at Anfield on Sunday. This is an advertisement for BetterHelp, a portal for finding online therapy. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run? Would you read more Fulham transfer rumours? Well, whatever it is, one thing that many of us have in common is wishing that we had more time. And therapy can be a place to help you work through what matters to you so you can have more time to do it. Therapy is great for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the very best version of yourself. It's not just for those who experience major trauma. And if that's something you're looking for, that's where BetterHelp can come in. BetterHelp is entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. They'll match you with a UK mental health professional with a wide variety of expertise. There's no referral needed and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge, giving you complete control over the whole experience. And Fulhamish listeners can get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Fulhamish. That's betterhelp.com slash Fulhamish to get 10% off your first month. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. 
From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast it is Sammy here, joined by Jack Collins and Patrick Barkley. Before we head, look ahead to Liverpool, I just want to give a little bit of a shout out um, to uh, the Tim Ream podcast, The American Dream, um, which uh, is a really, really, really good listen. Um, Tim and Steve Schlanger uh, host it most weeks, um, uh, the podcast. And I just thought I'd give it a little bit of a shout out because the podcast, which is being released uh, today as we speak, Thursday, is with none other than Bernd Leno. Um, who is who is on the podcast? So it's it's Tim and Burnt on the show. Um, so if you haven't subscribed to it yet, uh, well worth uh, checking it out uh, to hear what uh, what Tim and Burnt uh, said to each other. Right, let's look ahead to Liverpool on Sunday and uh, Jack. Um, quite a boost uh, yesterday in Jurgen Klopp's pre-match press conference for the Lask game, which they're playing in the Europa League tonight. No Allison, no Diogo Jota. Um, they're two. They're two players that I, I I don't mind seeing on the sidelines for this one. Yeah, it adds to a, an injury list that's already a little bit, you know, tasty as well. Obviously, Andy Robertson went was was kind of knocked out for a little while on on international duty, and Thiago Alcantara doesn't appear to be coming back anytime soon. Stefan Bajetic still not close, I don't think, to making it back as well. So so it does look a little bit light in there I mean look this is still an incredible Liverpool team and they have a very very good record at Anfield but you know when you see what Alisson has put in over the last couple of years I think the most consistent goalkeeper in the Premier League over the last three four years and what he's meant to this Liverpool side obviously him missing will be a blow um I'm excited about seeing Kevin Kelleher from a personal perspective um, in terms of him getting that opportunity because he remains one of the great hopes of the Republic. But at this point, it it does look like this is a weakened Liverpool side. I still think that they have enough to cause us problems. But, you know, of late and over the last couple of years, we've caused Liverpool problems. Um, we lost 1-0, obviously, at Anfield last year, but it was a controversial Darwin penalty that actually got that result over the line. The season before that in the Premier League was the year that Mario Lamina scored that fabulous winner at Anfield. We drew two all with them at the Cottage. Games between Liverpool and Fulham have been tight of late. And whilst their record against Fulham generally is, is obviously much better than ours, it's been we've been a bit of a thorn in their side over the last couple of years. So hopefully that can continue. Yeah, Patrick, what have you made of uh, Liverpool this season? I um, I, I was... Uh, you know, pleasantly surprised to see them back in the title race. A lot of people kind of thought they might be in the top four race, but I think they firmly cemented themselves as one of the two main challenges to Manchester City. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I think they're formidable again. They can switch their team around. I mean, the Kelleher, Kelleher's a very good goalkeeper and he's, he's, he's a big, big man. If you see what I mean, he's a, he's, he's big personality. Um, I love his attitude to the game, so I'm I'm not ter- that that excited about him being there rather than Allison. But uh, yeah, the, what they've shown is they can s- shuffle their team around, and uh, you know, reports of uh, Jurgen Klopp's what was it four season syndrome uh, surfacing have proved, sadly for us, exaggerated. So uh, I think. Um, I think obviously it'll be very, very tough. Um, like you, I went into the Wolves game thinking I would settle for a draw in advance. I think I have to say the same again. Although we, you know, we aren't mugs against Liverpool, proved it over and over again, uh, including the opening home game of last season where we shared four goals. Four it was two all, yeah. wasn't it? And yeah. and we we didn't we were we were worth that point, you know, all day long. Um, so we go there with hope after Wolves because if we put on the same performance or anything like uh, as we did for most of the game against Wolves, we have got a chance. But I'm not counting. 
I'm not counting on it. I think it'll be very, very difficult. And we'll need, as I say, we'll need every bit as good a performance. Uh, Polina and Reed, I think, will provide a, 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 a basis in front of the back four. It's the back four itself that I think where Marco will earn, um, richly earn his salary this week. In Does he change it? Tosin is fit again. And that's wonderful news for us. Um, I thought Bassi had one of his. I think he had. I thought he, he he was. I gave a very encouraging performance against Wolves. Would you agree with that, boys? Well, this is where. Okay, I, I'm throwing it back to you then. So yes, Bassi was good, but mm. obviously Bassi wants to be on the left. Mm-hmm. Tossin would come in on the right. Yes, if he's fit. I'd do it. So I'd do that. So what? Ream out. Ream to. It's a big call. There's no point in having a squad if you don't punish people for the mistakes. And and Tim Ream's not sacrosanct. Just because we love him, just because we adore the man and always will, um, doesn't mean he should be treated different from any other player. If a good player comes in, and Tossin's never really let us down, if he, if he gets himself fit and comes back and Bassi improves... His trajectory of improvement is there. You, you haven't disagreed with that. Then I'm sorry. Tim's no different from any other player. And uh, I'm not saying you should punish people. I, I don't think he deserves punishing for, 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 the, for that mistake. But I'm saying it's not fair on tossing. Not. It's, it's, pra- it's praise as much as punishment, isn't it? You're actually rewarding players for good performances. That's, I would say that's that- what I'm saying. I'm a bit wet. I'm a bit wary of, of of going way too hard on Bassi straight away. I, I thought he was. I thought he was okay on Monday night. And part of me worries that because he's really quick and really strong, and he has that recovery pace to get back, he makes up for other errors in his game by being able to cover for it. Um, and I think that when he, you know, does that and gets back behind, then obviously everyone goes wild, and it's like, oh, he's made a really important tackle. Whereas I think sometimes you're like probably shouldn't have had to make that tackle in the first place. And that's where I'm just still a little bit on the edge about Bassey. There are moments in his game where I think that he is, his recovery ability is making up for the fact that there are other sort of gaps in his game right now, but he's playing on the wrong side and I absolutely grant you that. And, and so therefore, yeah. if he does start on the left, he should be given that opportunity to prove himself. I agree in that, in that regard. Yeah. I mean, there, there is an argument for Tim, Tim Riemann that, uh, in we're gonna at Anfield, we're gonna get 30 35 percent possession. We've got to make use of it, we've got to maximize that. We've got to make turn 30 into 36, if you like, um, to, to give ourselves the best chance. Uh, hence, that's why we why Marco is gonna to have to think, do I keep Don Kearney on because he hardly ever gives the ball away? Uh, uh, do I, I mean, thank god we've got Palinia who. If he does give the ball away, he wins it back ten seconds later. Um, so we, 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 so he's going to be fantastic asset. Um, so and and of course Tim's passing is 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 immaculate. Um, so there is an argument there that um, that Bassi might be better defensively, but Tim will be better in terms of uh, possession. So there is a. That's that's why managers get paid, you know, because uh, yeah. we can we can speculate. We can speculate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the one interesting one for me, Jack, obviously, is um, Kenny Tete, I, and I guess for me, this is a little bit of a case of I don't think Kenny's going to get his place back until Castagna puts a foot wrong here, because I don't think Castagna is doing anything. Whilst I think Kenny possibly would offer us a little bit more on that right-hand side. I think Marco's going to say, well, until Timmy makes a mistake, I think you're, you're stuck on the bench, Kenny. It goes back to Paddy's point, right? About the fact that when players are playing well, you reward them by keeping them in the team. And right now, as good as Kenny Tete has been over the last couple of years, Castagna has made that spot his own in his absence. And there's nothing that anyone can blame for that. It's an, it's an injury. But until something happens that's different, then then why would you drop a player who's in that kind of form? We've not seen, as you say, 
Jack up front or, or kind of in, in attacking areas, I still thought that Awobi at right wing was weird and it kind of worked, but I, I felt like he felt unnatural. But we drifted out of the game. We drifted out of the game. If he's going to start on the wing, he has to start on the left. And and look, obviously, Willian took all the plaudits because he scored the two penalties and they were two excellent penalties and he deserves credit for it. But apart from that, apart from that, I like I, he frustrated me in an immense amount on, on, on Monday night. And actually... You know, there was a lot of chat about the first goal. I think Willian's not covering hard enough in terms to get back and actually help Robinson out, and he leaves him 2-1-1. Part of that's actually on TC as well, so I'm not completely blaming Willian for that. He should have got, got, got across as well. But generally, when he had the ball, that dynamism that we saw last year is kind of gone. There's some nice interchanges occasionally, but he slows the game down immensely. I would play a Wobi on the left. Um, and, and I know that sounds ridiculous after Willian scored twice, but I would. Mm. Do you not think a Wobi's been a terrific addition? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, 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 and, and I'd like to, to say, you know, I, you know, I couldn't have got that more wrong. When he signed, I thought, oh, no. Um, I did. I really did. And people said, yeah, but he was good towards the end of his spell at Everton. I mean, he's made utter nonsense of people like me who who were cynical about that um, or sceptical about that trans, uh, transfer. He's been absolutely superb. Initially, cameo appearances off the bench, but when he starts, he, he's he's been good. Uh, you didn't think he was great, uh, boys, on against Wolves, no? I thought it was one of his weaker performances. I don't think it was so bad that he should be dropped. I just think he maybe struggled a little bit on the right. I was also a little bit annoyed with the finish that that, yes, you know, with that yeah. could have, that potentially could have cost us the game. And I thought that in that moment, you're one-on-one. -on -one, and I think there's about four things he could do there. He could have hit it low and hard. He could have gone round the goalkeeper. He maybe could have looked for the square option. I yeah. think hitting it straight at Jose Sar was the least good option that he had there. Mm, um, so that like slightly frustrated me. Just, I would add that it just, when he got on the ball, he was good. I just thought he drifted in and out of the game. And I think that that's partly due to the way that Fulham set up. But actually, exactly. you know, what you want with a player like Awobi is for him to, to be getting the maximum amount of touches. And therefore, I think that when he is out on the right-hand side, there's, you know, we don't look to utilise him in a way that perhaps we would. And there's a moment where he cuts in and, and shoots on his left foot in the first half. And you're just thinking, if he's on the left there and he's coming in onto his strong side, does that does that end up in the back of the net? I think the answer is yes. You want to utilise the maximum amount of touches for a player of that kind of creative ability. And I think having him on the right, when we tend to build down the left, doesn't quite utilise him in, in the best way in order to, to get the most out of him. Yeah, I, I, th I think, look, I, I, I think that it's interchangeable. I, I just want Harry. I want Harry Wilson or at least Decker Dover-Reed in this side. And I think that <laughs> having, having a Wobie on the right when you've got someone of the quality of Wilson, who I think is consistently performing now, I think he was brilliant again in the, in the Man United game. I thought he was exceptional in the Villa game. And actually as much as we talked about it being controversial, he played the decisive moment in the Wolves game. I just think you have to find a way to, to bring in Wilson and currently a Wobie on the right denies us having an opportunity to, to have Harry Wilson. I, still, I, I liked also a Wobie in the 10. I uh, can't remember which game it was he played in the 10. I think it might've been Brighton. Yeah. Um, and he was, he was exceptional that day. So I, I, I think there's, look, I think Marco actually has, different options he can play. He's a little bit limited in a few positions, but he has different personnel. And obviously up front is where we know that the problems are lying. I think Raul for now, Pat Patrick, has, yeah. has slightly won people over. Yes. I just think he's the least bad option at the moment. I think we have a problem at number nine. Um, the, the, well, sorry, that's, <laughs> what was, what was it? Uh, Basil Fault, he said, specialist subject, the bleeding obvious. Um, <laughs> um, so the, um, but yeah, we, uh, there's something wrong with with Raúl in terms of what the player that we saw at Wolves, which was arguably one of the top four centre forwards in the Premier League, and he's not that. But I think I think that he's you know small steps. He's he's getting back just something he looks happier he looks less anxious which is a good thing but i can't remember i've forgotten the question now i'm, I'm, Basically, I'm, I'm, saying, I'm saying he's not what he was look at me 
Yeah, go on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's the least bad option, I think, yeah, at yeah. the moment, That's especially it. with, That's I think, with Vinicius's particularly the temper and the anger and, and even when he's coming on I don't think he's offering that much his first touch on Monday was was an abomination at times I think and and actually one subtle point that I noticed someone on X point out is for the Awobi chance that should have ended up in the third goal and you know the match being sealed Jimenez does really really well um, just to slightly distract the defenders and flick it onto Awobi it's, it's it's all about Jimenez and his and and, and his very smart play there. And I think they're the subtle things that we're getting out of Jimenez. And I think right now, I think he's, I, I think now his place is kind of sealed for, for at least until January, until something dramatic probably will happen. Sammy, you're the boss of this show. Uh, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to tread on your toes, but can I just ask both of you a question? You look across English football, let's say, let's keep it to English football. Uh, and you've got a free choice. You can have free of charge any number nine in the in the country to replace um, Mitro. So, who would you who would you be within reason? Don't say uh, Mohamed Salah or something like that because he's not a number nine anyway. But you could have Darwin. Uh, who would you want? Darwin was my first. Darwin was my first thought. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like he'd cause absolute chaos. And as as a guaranteed number nine, you're in the team, you're the new Metro. He would be fantastic, wouldn't he? I'd yeah, kill, he'd be I'd kill for I him. mean, other than obviously, like, I mean, Haaland, yeah, but like, I oh, actually yeah, think yeah, Darwin. I, I, yeah, we've got to exclude Haaland. I've got, obviously, you would take Haaland, yeah. I actually think that someone, think like, someone like ones. Dominic Calvert Lewin would be. Ah, yeah, that was another one could... I thought about. If you could keep him fit, which appears to be the impossible yeah, task, so if, you know you've got if, you, yeah. yeah exactly. But I think that Calvert. What about Lewin, Solanke? Yeah, Calvert Lewin and Solanke were the oh, kind Solanke. of players who would be back to the old style kind of. This is what would fit Silver's system, um, but I think that Fulham probably need to look abroad to to, uh, to pick Speaking up. Speaking of this is this is an interesting one. Speaking of kind of unrealistic but realistic options of of number nine, I did see someone on Twitter hypothesize I, I'm not sure they were uh, being serious about this but you wonder if there's a chance Richarlison yeah I mean Silver didn't necessarily always use him as a nine so there's there's something to consider with that um in, in terms of how how he set him up would he utilize Richarlison as a number nine in this system I, I don't know I mean I think if he got the opportunity to bring him in he would do it in a heartbeat because he loves Richarlison and he's someone that has obviously worked with before and trusts. And that could be something that restarts Richarlison's career. But I wonder if Fulham did bring him in, whether it would be to actually utilise a different position and actually to get someone for him to play off would be the thing that brought the best out of him. So we'll see. But I actually don't think it's the most unrealistic thing in the world. The only thing I think is that the only way that Tottenham are going to recoup some of their money on that is if he goes to Saudi Arabia, I think. And Fulham will not be paying 50-odd million for Richarlison. But if he you know, made it very clear that when he left, he didn't want to go there and he wanted to stay in the Premier League or wanted to stay in Europe's top five leagues, then Tottenham would have to reduce their asking price. And at that point, maybe it becomes feasible. Just one that I, I, I just suddenly, you, you, I, at first I was like, we're not signing Richarlison, shut up. <laughs> and then I just, and then I thought, wait a minute, there's the silver effect and they're staying in London and we have got some money. There is the money that, you know, there's not 50 millions, but there might be 30 millions um, to, to spend. And, and I think the thing with Richarlison, as you've seen for his country, is that he can play that role very, very well. I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself, getting a little bit giddy. I just saw it and thought, Maybe, maybe. I mean, he'd be a good addition, Patrick. Uh, I certainly would, and he'd help to sell. When we eventually finish that stand, he'll help to sell sell those uh, very expensive tickets because uh, <laughs> exactly it, it would well. be a it would be a statement signing. Uh, I know it's a dream. I know it's a dream, but uh, that's. Why can't we do that? Why can't we dream? Yeah, exactly. Right. Let's take another quick break. There. Afterwards, we'll do some emails and questions with Patrick. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, let's just do uh, a few emails and questions before um, we finish. Um, I mean, we actually kind of answered this one, but I feel like it's uh, worth reading from TJ Fogarty in Philadelphia. He says, hi, all. I'm writing this before the Wolves match. So if Ream has a bad match, this question may be moot. But it's been almost a year since Tim Ream announced a one year extension after scoring at Palace, keeping him here for what is his ninth season at the club. Has he done enough this year to earn a contract for a 10th season? We don't see many players play here for 10 seasons, so it would be special if him and Kearney could both reach the decade mark. I think keeping him on for at least another the year makes sense. He would push Bashley for the starting role and his leadership makes him a good player to have in the dressing room. My only counter to this is that Reem may be regressing now and keeping him on would prevent opportunities for young players like Defugerols, um, in the and also might prevent us from bringing someone younger in in the transfer market to fight for the left centre-back role. However, if we found space for Shane Duffy last season, surely we could make room on the squad for Tim Ream next season. Would love to hear your thoughts on this. And that's cheers from TJ. Um, Jack, I feel like a contract extension seems like a no-brainer. Um, I actually think that this probably is in Ream's court, if I'm honest. I think that the club would happily keep him on for one more year, even if they're, you know, the awareness is that he is probably going to be reduced in terms of game time and, and back up. He didn't have a great game, obviously, on Monday. Um, but he and there has been a little bit of a sign of drop off this season. But to keep him around as a squad player as an experienced head, I think makes sense. The only question I would add is that obviously St. Louis have an expansion team in MLS now who they won the Western Conference in their debut season. Is there a desire for him to go and play for his hometown club? now that they have that kind of ability and now that they have that kind of platform at the end of his career. That said, I think he still has designs on the 2026 World Cup to play at the highest level he can until that point is almost certainly a way to try and make sure that he's part of that. There are different things, but I just would suggest that it's probably in his court and that's actually where it will lie. Yeah. Um, I've got this question for you. uh, Patrick from uh, Sam Purcell. He said it would be interesting to get Patrick's thoughts on the club's strategy and ongoing alienation of the fan base and what he thinks we can do about it. Obviously, there's been lots of anger about um, ticket prices. We talk about it regularly. Um, you are yourself are a season ticket holder mm-hmm. uh, in the in the Johnny Haynes, mm-hmm. um, but also have have that kind of experience of being at so many other clubs and grounds yeah. and stadiums over over your long career. So uh, yeah, I'd be I'd be fascinated to find out your thoughts on this as well. Sam. Yeah, well, it's, it's, I mean, some, some asks a very good question because it's, it's very, very difficult. Like every other fan, and I'm sure Sam's no different, um, I want the cheapest season, the, the cheapest seats in, in Britain, and, and I also want Richarlison. So <laughs> it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's difficult to know where to strike the balance. But where I think the fans are right um, in, in, in pushing for lower prices, and I, you see, I don't worry about the best seats in the Riverside costing, what is it, 1,000? Um, 3,000. 3,000 or 100 for a one-off. I'm not bothered about that. I'm not bothered what the best seats cost. As long, if you, if you look at Germany, everybody says the Germans run it well. They have, they have eye-watering prices for the best seats, 200, 250 euros. You get a, a meal and a couple of beers as well included in that. But that is how you have the 10 euro seats in the, in the, in the cheaper bits. Um, I'm all for differential pricing. Uh, you know, let rich people subsidize the ordinary people. Um, but with Fulham, the tradition of the club if we, God forbid, but if we go back to the championship, it's not going to be the end of the world for us. It's, it's not 
I mean, I, I hate to say it, but it, it, it's not going to be the end of the world for for our club. Um, we'll still enjoy the matches. We'll still go to the matches and we'll try to get back. If Manchester United or Liverpool or or Chelsea go down, it's, you know, fans rioting in the streets. It's not like that for us. And sustainability of, of our support is very, very important. And that's why the ticket prices are so important for our club because we are a long-term, you know, we think long-term. We are going to be here for the rest of our lives, whatever happens. And it's important that we're not standing alone on the terraces because they've priced out people in the future. So I think the club should think seriously about um, not about keeping a substantial number of tickets at a reasonable price. My ticket, because I'm lucky, because I'm an old age pensioner. I'm a senior citizen. Call it what you will, old geezer. So I, <laughs> I pay, I pay well under. It's about. I'm watching the best teams in the world, including ours, uh, for about between twenty and twenty-five pounds per match. I mean, I can't complain. Uh, being in the Haynes stand, we we pay very reasonable prices, I think. Um, but we don't want another eighteen percent increase next season. The increase from a, a, a low base was fine, but you know, if this is going to be the pattern of the future, this will price out. Uh, uh, fans and we will uh, the sustainability of the club will be affected so I think the club should listen very carefully um, to the arguments that are being made even if it means we can't get Richarlison <laughs> yeah, I think that's all a uh, a price that we'd be all willing to to pay if we if we ultimately have to. Uh, brilliant words, Patrick. I think that can uh, perfectly uh, round off the podcast. Just finally, from me, actually, um, your favourite memory at the uh, at the cottage. If you had to, if you had to pick one um, from the years that uh, either been either for work or since you've been kind of going since work for pleasure, I just wondered if there was one that stands out. It was before I became a season ticket. I've only been a season ticket holder since. Um, uh, well, just before um, the uh, Wembley playoff, to, uh, the Tom Kearney playoff, and uh, against Villa, it was before that. I bought my, I booked my season ticket, not knowing which uh, division we were going to be in. But uh, before that, I, I still loved Fulham, and uh, at one time, this is my favourite memory. Uh, I was. I was in some kind of corporate. I was in the the cor- one of those corner boxes uh, yeah. at the Hammy End, and uh, but we got to the ground quite late, and the, you could hear the roar building up as a Juventus game. With no chance, with absolutely no chance. It was three three one down from the yeah, first yeah. leg, and uh, and and annoyingly, even though we're getting there at the very last minute, there was. Um, a bloke in front of us uh, in fact it wasn't the last minute the game had already kicked off and there was a guy in front of us and I'll never forget this I'd love to meet him if he's listening to this I'd love him to ring ring up because he was in front of us Fulham fan and we were, the entrance was at the hammy end uh, to this corporate box and uh there's this muted roar, that horrible roar that means the away team have scored. And I don't know how many Juventus fans, maybe 1,500, they were cheering. And I thought, oh, 4-1. And the guy in front of me goes, ah, to hell with this. And he just turned and walked home, (laughs) walked away. No He's one will still, ever, no uh, one will honestly, ever admit that. It doesn't matter who they are. No one will ever admit in. that was them. They no, no, they no chance in. whatsoever. Uh, he's probably still oh, kicking no. himself. He's probably still kicking himself. Um, and of course, we went in. Sorry, to, uh, I'm going on a bit, but I have to finish the no, story. No, this is amazing. I have to finish the story because we we went in, and the box was on the river side of the ground. So you can yeah. imagine it's at the, it's in that oh. little angle. Uh, between the a little gap which used to exist between the hammy end and the river and i'm sitting there and you know what's coming because clint dempsey gets the ball 
and he dinks it. And we were right behind. That ball was coming straight for us. And so we could see the body language of the keeper as he starts backpedaling and he's panicking. He was a reserve keeper, I think he was. Yeah, it yeah, was. Comente. Yeah, that's right. And he's backpedaling. And we knew it was going in. And we didn't care how long it took to drop over his head into that corner. We knew it was going in. We just knew it. Ah, oh, and you say, what was my favorite memory? I could still feel the elation as that ball went in. And I was so glad I was in that position to see that goal. Uh, dead easy, easy question. That's my favorite yeah. memory. What a night. What a night. What a night. Apart from the one bloke who went home. <laughs> yeah. he, had the, he had the worst night of his life. No, he was probably, probably pleased we got through. Um, and uh, disappointed that after a, a, a decent gritty show in the final that we lost it to Aguero and um, Diego Forlan. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I love that you um, described that, Patrick, because I must have been about... 10 meters from you because I was oh. my, my season ticket at that time was H seven, yeah. which is that far side. And I, my seat was basic. I could, so you, I could smack those. You, I could smack those yeah. corporate boxes. So you were, you were sucking to. the ball into the net as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I must, we must've been about five meters apart because oh, well, I, I, I always have that vivid memory as well because the angle we were at that night yeah. was perpendicular yeah. to the shot. So you just had that beautiful view and you knew it was in from the moment it left yeah. his foot. But there's not many parts of the ground that would have known quite at the angle that we had that evening. Yeah. So I, I love that you mentioned that because I've always thought that was a, a special little extra added bit of, of, of relish to that night. There was the position that, that us and a few thousand others were in that yeah. night is to see that beautiful goal. Patrick, it's been wonderful to have you on Fulhamish today. Thank you so much for, uh, for, for taking the time out. Anytime. Thank you very much. And Jack Collins, thank you for coming on as ever. No, thank you, Sammy. Always a pleasure. Happy St. Andrew's Day, Paddy, and to uh, all the other Scots. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Takes one Celt to know the other holidays. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah we work where we, we um, Fulhamish will be back on Tuesday, uh, sorry, on Monday, uh, with a review of everything that happens in the Liverpool game. And then we'll be back this time next week to review the Forest game. But until then, have a wonderful weekend. If you're heading up to Liverpool, safe travels. I know it's going to be difficult with all those trips train strikes but whatever you're doing have a great weekend and come on your whites you whites